with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash too many captains productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. I'm Bo Maddox. And I'm Ashley Chancellor. And this is Collateral Cinema. <laughs> Welcome to Collateral Cinema at the Movies Edition, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and everything else in between in the world of cinema. We are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast, so whatever you have, be it bongs, blunts, or joints, smoke it if you've got it, my friends. And we are once again diving into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's kind of been a constant thing here uh, since uh, pretty much since Endgame now. Yeah, I mean, we haven't hit every single MCU film that's that's been out, and nor should we, but I think most of the, the main ones that, you know, either interest us or, or some of the end cap ones, I mean, we covered the end of Phase 4. This is the first official film of Phase 5, and, and personally, I, I do enjoy the Ant-Man films, so this is definitely one that was on the list. Now, I don't really have a whole lot of actual uh, you know, experience with uh, Ant-Man other than maybe like Civil War and, uh, you know, the Avengers uh, um, Endgame and everything. But, I mean, this this movie was actually pretty easy to get into. I mean, not really knowing much about the other two movies, I can just say. Yeah, and I could, I, I could definitely tell, you know, like while watching, trying to kind of understand some of these character relationships because you've got a lot of Ant-Fam here. So it definitely does build off of a lot of the first two movies. But uh, I, I will say that this one is definitely different in tone. It's, it's more of a more of a big spectacle type movie, whereas the other two Ant-Man movies were more grounded and, and kind of these like light, lighter tone, um, closer to the ground kind of films that just kind of focused on, you know, these characters and, and, and you know, where they were at within this world. This one is kind of actually having some implications for the multiverse, even. Well, I mean, this is the actual first movie of Phase 5, from what I understand. And, uh, yeah, the big bad in this one is, I think Doug Walker called him Mini Thanos. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Of course, we're talking about uh, Kang, who was a very 
really, really, you know, focused upon in the uh, in the trailers and everything. So, I mean, it's obvious that they're really, really, really building him up into something really big. And if you know anything about the upcoming release uh, schedule with uh, the MCU, I mean, th there's a whole thing called Kang Dynasty, right? That's Avengers Kang Dynasty. Kang Dynasty followed by Avengers Secret Wars. So uh, those are the last two Avengers movies that are going to appear at the end of Phase 6. And, uh, yeah, Kang is kind of being built up as the next big bad, the next Thanos. And he's, in many ways, kind of a multiversal, time-traveling Thanos. So an even bigger threat. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Kang has killed Thanos. I mean, I'm sure, I, he, of course he has. <laughs> he has to have, yeah. I mean, that only makes sense. <laughs> what a flex for this guy, by the way. I mean, I remember he meets uh, Scott in this movie, and he's like, have I killed you before? Are you the one with the hammer? Like, what a fucking flex. <laughs> yeah, because apparently he's literally just obliterated all these other timelines and multiverses in the multiverse and everything. And, yeah, he's, he's already fucked over the Avengers a few times, apparently. Yeah, so this is the movie that's supposed to properly introduce Kang the Conqueror. And that's interesting because uh, we did get to see Jonathan Majors, who, who portrays Kang in this movie. By the way, I'm going to go ahead and say the standout performance in this movie. Absolutely. More on that later. But uh, we did get to see him portray a variant of Kang known as He Who Remains in Loki, uh, the very last episode of season one. Uh, and he was great there, but this is where he's getting properly introduced as Kang the Conqueror, as the next villain. Um, whether the one that we're getting in the Avengers movies or other uh, MCU films is going to be the same variant or not remains to be seen. But uh, I think I heard somewhere that, that that's actually not the case. The one that, the one that we're getting is going to be a different variant altogether. And that's actually kind of cool. We can kind of have this persistent threat that just kind of crops up in the multiverse all the time. Yeah, I mean, I can totally see that, but I can also kind of see how they could potentially drop the ball on that because, you know, I mean, the, the Kane that we got in this movie was very compelling. He was definitely a, char a charismatic, like, very captivating presence on screen and everything. But it's like, will the other Kangs really be the same as this one? I mean, I know that it's the same... It is fundamentally the same character with the same actor and everything. But if, if you see certain implications, which we're not going to spoil, but certain implications after the end of the movie, I don't know. Yeah, and they do kind of build up this one as bad among even Kangs, right? I mean, that, that kind of seems to be where they're going with it is like, this is one that even the other Kangs kind of have an issue with. Again, we don't want to go too far into it, but... They, they do kind of give us that impression. But at the same time, I can definitely see how they can build up a threat. And, um, I mean, it's also possible that we could get this one again. You really can't say. Well, yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, at, at the end of the movie, it, it kind of leaves things a little open. That's, that's the most that we'll really say about it. Yeah. It leaves things very open. Yeah, so it's uh, kind of hard to say. But I will say, yeah, Jonathan Majors is fucking great. Uh, I think he is actually the standout performance. And that's saying a lot because Paul Rudd is is also really great uh, in everything he does with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And somehow, yeah, Jonathan Majors actually outshines him here. And then that's saying something. I mean, yeah, Paul Rudd was good in this movie. Um, was he great? 
Nah, I don't know if this is really his best performance, honestly. I, I think he was a little more compelling when they introduced him in Civil War. That, that was a very compelling moment to me. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I kind of actually liked his character, enjoyed his character arc in uh, the first two Ant-Man movies. I mean, I think that's where we really get into it. Uh, he and Evangeline Lilly as, as uh, uh, Hope Van Dyne, they don't really... Um, they don't really have as much of a character arc in this movie. I mean, they kind of are very much the same characters the last time we saw them. Um, there's really more going on, I think, with Cassie Lang, who is uh, controversially recast. Yes, by uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Who's no. who's? No, oh, you're talking about a different one. Cassie. Cassie. Oh yeah, the uh, daughter. Janet. My bad. Okay. <laughs> Janet's always been Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh okay. I, well, I wouldn't know that because I haven't seen the other two movies. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Janet was uh, introduced in Ant-Man and the Wasp, and she was Michelle Pfeiffer then, and she's still Michelle Pfeiffer. No, Cassie Lang was the little girl in the first two Ant-Man movies, uh, but in Endgame, uh, and she's, she's Scott's daughter, in Endgame, she's grown up five years, and so they used a, an older actress. Makes sense. Recasting the character in that context. Okay. And she's not in the movie for very long. She has a very a short, very cup uh a couple very short scenes and, and that's really it and it kind of just serves to show how much more time scott has lost with this character which which is a, a theme and i think we'll get into that in a bit here um but for whatever reason uh director peyton reed decided to recast the character again and uh there's really wasn't a reason given as to why apparently the actress wasn't even aware of it until we were I'm not really sure what was going on there. I mean, she was fine. Uh, the, the actress was fine in this role. Not really anything that I thought really stood out, but... I, I will say she's she's great. I mean, I don't have any issues with her. I just, yeah, it's kind of confusing as to why she was recast. The only thing I can think of is, is that Peyton Reed had somebody specifically in mind, or, like, he had a specific... Like, he, he wanted the character to be played a certain way. He just... I know that like the Russos were the ones that uh, hired uh, the, the previous actress. Like, I think the the one in this movie is uh, Catherine Newton, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, and before it was uh, Emma Furman. Oh, okay. In Endgame. Okay. So the Russos had chosen Emma, uh, but uh, Peyton decided to choose Catherine. So. That's that's kind of where we're uh, where we're where we're going with this, and I, I can understand that from a directorial standpoint. Maybe you know you kind of want the character to be portrayed a certain way, and that's why. But it is also weird how we haven't really had an official statement about that either. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can see why. I mean, I don't know, but yeah. she's fine. I think uh, really, I mean, there's more of her in this than there is. I think the wasp. Yeah, the wasp doesn't really do much of anything in this movie does she i mean yeah for, for a movie titled ant-man and the wasp guantamania it is kind of weird how we don't really get a whole lot of her she's just kind of there whenever we need her and and i will say that um the chemistry between uh between evangeline Lilly and paul rudd is is, is fine i think at the end there especially um it, it worked for me but uh, yeah there's there's not a whole lot of her not really no I mean, I would say, like, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer even kind of play a bigger role here. They play a, a much bigger role. I mean, 
at least in the beginning of the movie, we start with uh, Janet's uh, time in the quantum realm. So Right. So, yeah, the, the backdrop of this movie is that they had picked up Janet in Ant-Man and the Wasp, and she had spent 30-some years in the quantum realm, right? But she doesn't ever talk about it. She doesn't know, like, she doesn't, she doesn't ever tell them, you know, whatever happened or warn them about anything. Uh, and we're kind of all seeing this come to light. We're kind of seeing, you know, what happened and, and where she went. And uh, we're also getting introduced to her relationship with Kang. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting that of all things that's going to start off this massive, what's supposed to be this massive threat throughout the next few phases, it, it all starts so inconspicuously in the quantum realm with Janet meeting Kang like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, initially she's friends with him even. Yeah, right, because Kang is, uh, he's a master manipulator, and, uh, you know, we, we kind of get to see that come to a head here. We get to see where that started from, and we definitely feel the threat of Kang throughout the movie. I mean, that's kind of a persistent theme here is that, hey, this is Kang. He's the big bad. He's really coming in. And and by the time he does join, um, he still is a threat. Like Thanos, he's not afraid to get his hands dirty. Uh, and I do like how uh, his power set is all just really advanced technology, more advanced than anything we've seen before. Yeah, it's, it's really, really established early on when they're ex- explaining Kang's backstory that, yeah, he is this, you know, consummate scientist and engineer and technician, and he has already developed a, a technology and science that's just way beyond the, what we have in our realm. You know, right. It's just, I would venture part of that is due to him being in a setting where he could develop a multi, you know, design a multiversal ship, and part of that being having conquered so many universes by this point and acquiring their technology as well. Yeah, it is definitely the spoils of war that's uh, kind of funding or fueling his uh, the, his technological advancement, more or less. So Yeah, but interestingly enough, the quantum realm exists outside of space and time, and so uh, this is where the characters are stuck, and so Kang has to make do with what he has. I will say, though, even without being able to travel through space and time, Man, he still has a lot going on. Um, I mean, I, just just uh, what he can accomplish, uh, how much of a threat he stands to the other characters. Yeah, I mean, especially the, the way that they actually get back into the quantum realm. I mean, it's pretty much because uh, of a little bit of a fuck-up, mm-hmm. honestly. And, yeah, he hones in on them and brings them into the quantum world. You know, so yeah, and people might be wondering, you know, like why didn't, uh, well, why didn't he pay attention when Scott got lost in the quantum realm before? And I think the answer to that is very simple. I mean, they explained in the movie, Cassie was building that, uh, and it's in the trailer as well. Cassie was building this this device that's sending a signal throughout the the quantum realm, and essentially, it's like a uh, they describe it as like a Hubble space telescope for the quantum realm, and. I think what was really cool and in some of the ideas that they posited here is that, you know, the quantum realm is its own multiverse just on a different scale. And that, you know, you can keep going down infinitesimally small and going and going and going and going, which is something they visit in the, you know, the first Ant-Man movie in particular. Um, but there are these universes upon universes 
you know, the deeper you go, there are just, and, and I think that that's really cool and to see kind of these wacky designs and characters come out. And, and I will say, like, 90% of the movie takes place in the quantum realm. I, what I'm going to say about the quantum realm is that it felt very Star Wars. It, 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 yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, it had a lot of influence with that, like with the designs of a lot of the creatures and also with the actual people and other individuals that are living there. It it really smacked a Star Wars to me, like even more so than uh, Love and Thunder did at some uh, in some ways, you know. And yeah, to me, Love and Thunder kind of evoked a little bit of uh, Star Wars, a little bit. You yeah, know? I mean, but yeah, this this one, I feel even more so. I I, I see what you're saying because I mean, you got your cantina scene, you got your wacky characters, and uh, I I've heard a few complaints of like you know, oh, this movie is like it's all CG, and I'm like. Okay, to, to my, my response to that is, what the fuck did you expect? The movie is called Quantumania. It takes place in the quantum realm. Did you expect that they would actually shrink the actors down I to the quantum realm? I don't think that's the <laughs> issue. The issue is, is the CGI good? And it is here, actually. There's, I, I think there's scenes where it's good. There's other scenes where I'm just like, hmm. But as far as the actual quantum realm itself, it is well designed. I will say that, you know, yeah. and, and like I said, a lot of the character designs, you know, it's like it did have that kind of Star Wars quality to it. I, I know that Doug Walker, he, he was saying that it was almost like a Studio Ghibli kind of Howl's Moving Castle kind of vibe to it. or spirited away, maybe a little bit, you know, in, in that you know, there's always something moving going on in the background that's like way more interesting than what's actually going on. Yeah. You know? Like, like that's something that Ghibli kind of excels at a little bit. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of trying to see it that way, you know? But I guess that's a way to look at the movie. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, I, I see what you mean with the CGI. I, I will say, I, I feel like they definitely did spend a better, but bigger budget or uh, the VFX, VF, VFX artists <laughs> had more time to work with it, maybe, because yeah, I definitely do see a difference here. Although I didn't really think the CGI was bad in previous Marvel films. I can definitely see how this is a step up and this is kind of more what we've come to expect. I, I feel like the CGI, in, especially in Phase 4, it was very ebb and flow. Like, there was... Some movies where it looked really, really amazing, like like a No Way Home or, yeah. or even a Multiverse of Madness. And then, I don't know, there was even some parts of uh, Love and Thunder that I thought looked a little, eh, you know. Yeah, yeah. There was some, you know, Wakanda Forever had some pretty okay stuff, but even then there were some moments where it was just like, hmm. It's like, yeah, maybe, they, maybe Feige is right to actually start spacing these releases out a little more. Maybe the... Maybe, Maybe the VFS artists, I mean, they're already heavily exploited. They're already yeah. under huge crunch times and everything. It's, it's absolute bullshit. I mean, maybe they need a little more leeway. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that goes a long way here. I used to ask myself a lot of questions. Scott, you're at X-Con. How are you an Avenger? That doesn't make sense. But everywhere I go, people tell me the same thing. Thank you, Spider-Man! People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. It's like a satellite for deep space, but Quanta. Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm. Turn it off. Now! 
hours beneath ours. What are you so afraid of? There's something I never told you. This place. It isn't what you think. Now, where this movie, I guess, where, where I can see where people might be complaining about the CGI, and this is not really a spoiler because he was in the trailer, but you don't really get to see him, so I won't go into too much detail about it, but MODOK, right? We M-Modoc. know MODOK is in the movie, um, but yeah. in the trailer, he's got the mask on. I can that see where people are kind of... sorry, that was not well done. Okay, it was not so done well, I'm sorry. I will defend it because MODOK is supposed to look goofy. Like, I know, I know, but it literally looked like a, a bad PS1 reskin or, or a bad skin on a on a PS1 or a PS2 character. That's what it looked like. I kind of feel like it, they were going for this, that. It had this weird, like, I don't know, it felt like it was cheaply done. It felt like it was very cheaply done, and they could have done a better job at it. I would rather they have just fucking, you know, rendered and modeled a full original face for it. It probably would have been more expensive, but it would have looked better. Maybe. I don't know. I well, and What's funny is I actually knew about the MODOK thing. Like, I had seen his face before the movie came out uh, through some of the leaks and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I remember the leaks. I, I remember, like, hmm, I wonder how they're going to make that work. <laughs> and I don't know. And it, it actually kind of makes sense when you think about uh, the way that MODOK's origin comes about. Um, it is actually referencing previous Ant-Man films. And, and when you think about the way that it's working, it, it makes sense why the character looks like that. And like one, that's one of the questions I would have had is, is how would the MCU do MODOK, right? Like how would the MCU make this character work? And what they did is they made a character that looks exactly like he did in the comics. Funny enough. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, the actual humor involving him, I felt was maybe... I mean, if you're a big know. fan of MODOK, then, you know, maybe, like, this was, that was something that, like, you might be disappointed in the way the I, character is portrayed I, here. I heard him, I heard him described in one of the, some of the reviews that we were watching before we did this, him, heard him described as if he was, like, a, a Family Guy character version of MODOK, you know, like, if he was, in a, like, a cutaway gag MODOK, kind of. Well, he's definitely comic relief, although I feel like yeah. it's kind of par for the course, considering the MODOK that came out recently, which I haven't seen, but yeah, that that was Patton Oswalt that did the voice of Modoc in that, right? I don't know, but no, it, it was Patton Oswalt. But I know that one was more, uh, w- w- definitely more comedy focused. And I will say that Modoc, if you're gonna like, if, if you're gonna have him look exactly like he does in the comics and like kind of have that goofy vibe, I, I don't really feel like there's any other way they could have 
done that that make him sort of a comic relief, especially with Kang as like the real threat in this movie. So I kind of I, I kind of understand where they were going with that. I understand like making Modok that kind of character in the context of the MCU works. I mean, the other approach would have been to try to kind of make a more serious design for him to make him a serious character. And I don't know, in the context of, of uh, the MCU, I, I feel like Modok was done about as well as he could have been. I mean, maybe. But I mean, I'm not I, really all that familiar with the comics, to be completely honest with you. Same here. But, yeah, I, 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 I am hearing a lot of, like, the superhero fatigue thing. But then again, people have been saying that for the past, like, ten years, even before Endgame came out. So, for me, I just don't get that. I mean, I understand. I, I kind of get it. I, I understand mean, dude, where people we, are coming from. We've, but been, we've been doing this... Uh, We've been reviewing these movies like since Endgame, like, I, and I feel like, I don't know. There's kind of a reason why I never got that deep into the MCU initially. There, there's a reason for that, yeah. and I feel like, you know, it, it's like I felt like this was going to happen. Like, eventually, it's like okay, so you're just going to continuously just push this series further and further and further to its inevitable end. It's like, and then you want to just start it all over again. It's like, well. At what point do people lose an incentive to watch? You know, at what point does it get stale? They just don't watch. That's my answer. Of course. Well, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> there are but plenty of so, us that still do want to see it. But then again, when it's so ubiquitous to that, it feels like it takes up a huge, huge, huge chunk of real estate in the cinematic world. I mean, it's just eventually it's going to get still i mean a good example is look at the universal monsters uh, uh cinematic universe back in the day eventually that got to the point where it it kind of became ridiculous in its own right you know i hear what people are saying but i just i just don't feel that way i don't know i don't know how to say it but i don't know how else to put it but i'm still excited about seeing these characters come to life seeing these storylines come to the big screen seeing where the characters that we've tracked over the past uh, decade plus are, are going and I don't know I just I still get excited with each new film that comes out and I even come into these movies like kind of seeing some of the criticism in advance looking for something to hate and I don't find it see I don't go in there looking for anything to hate I go in there objectively and I'm just like okay like is this movie really that good you know and, and like I said, it's kind of been an ebb and flow. I mean, yeah. this last phase, it had some good stuff. No, no Way Home was great. Multiverse was good. Uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, fuck. I mean, yeah. that, I, I please give Angela Bassett an Oscar for that. But, I mean, th this to me, this movie, I, I feel like maybe it's because of the script. Like, maybe we can talk about the script of this a little bit. I feel like kind of was a little too loosey-goosey with everything if you get my if you get my drift at least with the heroes like with with the Kang stuff it was spot on like the Kang stuff it was like you know they really did kind of uh telegraph that yeah this is a looming threat and we're going to really have to be dealing with this you know and it's going to have consequences later on you know but other than that I feel that certain moments really fell flat like like, to me, everybody knows Bill Murray is in this movie. Bill right. Murray's, uh, fi he's finally in the MCU, and I feel like he's just, 
there. He's not, he, he doesn't even have that much of an effect on the movie itself. Well, at the end of the day, it's just a cameo. I know, I know, but it's Bill fucking Murray. Uh, you utilize him or you don't. Right. It's like, I mean, that, that's like getting Tim Curry on something and not having him go all out or whatever, you know? Fair enough. Like, I, I feel like that was a missed opportunity. I think, and I, I don't know, it feels like they they may have even killed him off, maybe. To be fair, we are living in the multiverse now. Yeah, so that's anything's true. possible. They can bring anybody back if they want to. Um, I mean, he's there. I don't oh, I'm not gonna say he really contributes anything that the movie needs, but he's there. Bill Murray's in the MCU and he's cool and, and he, he kind of serves a a little bit of a subplot there. And yeah, but and, and then there's the the uh the, the tribes of people that are living in this it's yeah. like first of all doesn't that feel a little bit derivative of some of the stuff in thor ragnarok and love and thunder a little bit i guess i i, I kind of feel like there was some parts of the script that was just too similar to uh to like love and thunder's script they, they even have a scene where there's like scenes where there's like total conversations going on in the middle of these big knockout drag out battles and it's just like uh are we really repeating this whole trope? Are we really doing this again? Like, I mean, maybe that's kind of why people are saying that some of the humor needs to be dialed back a little bit. I'm kind of maybe starting to see that, especially when you have something like Wakanda Forever, which, of course, that was going to be a very serious movie. That was, you know, Chadwick Boseman's eulogy, pretty much. But, I mean, that to me is like the best movie of this last phase, and it's because it's the, most, it's the one that takes itself the most seriously. It's because of its subject matter, and that's because the script took it seriously and gave the uh, characters the respect that it needed. And yeah, there are, there are certain issues in that movie as well. You know, I heard some issues about Ironheart a little bit. You know, people were just like, oh, great. I mean, we're just having another Tony Stark or whatever. But I mean, in this movie, I feel like maybe eventually the MCU is going to start kind of eating itself when it comes to, you know, actual ideas with scripts and everything. Well, but you mentioned the humor, and I'm like, what about the Guardians movies, though? Because those movies are 100% well, built on I don't humor. know. Maybe we can kind of blame the fucking Guardians movies for this a little bit. Maybe that, because it set that standard, now the MCU is just not really living up to that standard. Maybe, I don't That's know. That's something that I'm kind of starting to feel a little bit here. But I, I feel like... You know, there's always going to be movies in the MCU that are more serious and always going to be movies that are more comedy-based. That's what's always kind of worked, and that's why my argument for, like, why I don't feel superhero fatigue, it, you know, works for me is because the movies are so different and occupy so many different subgenres that I don't really see them as the same thing. And yeah. so I don't really feel fatigued because they're so different in their approach because you've got different teams of directors and writers working on each one. Yeah, and I get that, but I mean, especially with the way that the release schedules were squeezed together so much, I mean, I think that it really kind of opened up the door for a little bit of half-assery here or there, you know, especially when it comes to the script. Like, well, to be fair, COVID kind of did fuck that up. That, that is true. That, I mean, the movies got lie. delayed by quite a bit, and we didn't get a whole lot of MCU films. Well, remember um, the movie that was supposed to come out that year was Black Widow, and Black Widow was, I mean, good spy thriller, but, you know, kind of, yeah. Yeah, it know. was okay, yeah. yeah. But I actually liked this one, you know, like like phase four, like 
And I can see where people kind of are seeing a dip, but I think the weird thing that people are, are that I'm seeing now is people are like, oh, yeah, the MCU's dead now. And I'm like, wait, you guys don't remember how Phase 2 was kind of mid, and, and then they picked up after that? Like, yeah, there's going to be... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get it. There's going to be ebbs and flows to this, but what happens when those ebb and flows start becoming a little inconsistent? Like, well, what, if, what if we have, like, two whole phases where things kind of fall apart? You know, there's no precedent for that here. It's hard to say. I will say that there's not a single MCU film that I dislike. I actually, like, I, like, I think all of them are fine. There are some that are better than others. There are some that are more mid than others. But I, I've yet to come across an MCU film that I, I genuinely disliked or I thought was a bad movie. I guess. Hmm, what would be one that I didn't like? I don't know. I, I mean, the lowest, like, for me, like, the, the films that are, like, the the, the worst MCU films, in my opinion, and aren't bad movies are, like, Thor Love and Thunder or Eternals and, or and those, The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, they're not really bad movies. I don't hate them. I just, they're just not as good as some of the other ones. But, like, I still feel invested in the characters. I still feel invested in the plot. And I don't know. Like, like I'm just going to... I'm, I'm going to die on the hill that I liked this one. I liked Love and Thunder. I liked Multiverse of Madness. I'm sorry. <laughs> they really... I really actually liked them. Um, not just, like, I'm defending them, but then they're, they're not too bad. But, no, like, I genuinely enjoyed them. I was really yeah. into it. And I mean, th this for me, this is the first time with uh, these recent MCU movies where I really started to kind of see the cracks a little bit, though. I'm starting to see that. the cracks there a little bit. And it doesn't make me... I mean, obviously, we're going to be watching these movies because, hey, it's part of what we do. We're a movie podcast. We're going to, we're going to you know, follow the MCU here. The next like one this. coming up is Guardians 3. And that's going to be good. I know that's going to be good. I have a good feeling about it, that's yeah. James Gunn is kind of on fire when it comes to comic book movies right now. So... Yeah. And Volume 2 isn't as well-received as the first one, but I think it's still a great movie. Um, and Volume 3 looks like it's actually going in another kind of serious direction, uh, kind of similar to what, what, what this movie, I guess, was doing, because the first two Ant-Man movies were a little bit more lighthearted, and this one was supposed to be a bit more serious. And but I feel like it, the end product was very divided but, in that But approach, was it though. really that serious, though? Right. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it I looked mean, like it was going to be, but at the end of the day, it looked like it was very half and half. Yeah, yeah. And I can see where somebody might feel like that's inconsistent or they may not like that, but I didn't personally have a problem with it. I felt like there are other MCU movies that toe that line and do it well, and I felt like this one did it just as well, in my opinion. But that's my opinion. I don't know. I think they just need to hurry up with the R-rated Deadpool 3 movie already. That's I am be really fun. excited about that. Yeah. It made Blade R-rated. Please. You, you, you pussies. Please. I'm not saying it can't be great if it's not, but it should be. Kind of like how Multiverse of Madness like should have been R-rated. It, it could have been a lot better. That absolutely should have been an R-rated movie. And it was good, but it, yeah. it could have been better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if it was R-rated. Yeah. But um, I guess there's really not a whole lot else we can say about Ant-Man and the Quas Quas Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania without going into spoilers here. Uh, what are your final thoughts, Bo? Um, I'm a little apprehensive about this movie. There's parts, I, there's parts of it I like. I like Jonathan Majors as Kang. He was arguably, he was not even arguably, he was the best part of the movie. Agreed. I mean, I do like some of the, uh, some of the designs of the, uh, of the quantum realm itself and some of the characters. I mean, and yeah, some of the uh, interactions between like the uh, family themselves proper was pretty okay. But 
I, I feel like that this was a very weak script that should have probably upped some more stakes here or there, you know, but I guess it was all right. Yeah. I mean, th that's just what I'm going to say. This movie was all right. I, I don't really know that I really feel that strongly about it. And I think the only real importance it's going to have is because uh, Kang is uh, introduced as the official big bad of the next few phases here. So I, I think that it's going to be more of a historical note there in the MCU. Yeah. That's, I, that's what I feel like. But should you go watch it? Yeah. Go, go, go see it. But yeah. don't, don't, don't expect like Wakanda forever here. I mean, that, that one impressed me. Wakanda Forever impressed me a lot. And, and that's even, you know, I mean, acknowledging the flaws that, and the things that people had to say about it, but it was still a solid movie. But I don't know. It's just this one feels kind of underwhelming going from, you know, that to this. You know, it feels Fair very enough. underwhelming. But is, is it a bad, bad movie? No. Yeah, go see it. I don't know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's not really making my way its way into, like, one of my top MCU films, and it really could have with, like, the potential, so I, I can see some of, like, the missed potential, but I don't have any problems with it. I think it's weird how this movie is, is somewhat experimental and is trying new things, but at the same time plays it very safe. Exactly. I mean, Isn't that weird, right? Yeah, it's very <laughs> weird, but I, I think that uh, that's kind of par for the course with the MCU. It's very much about, you know... It wants to introduce high, really, really high stakes, but it just, just, you know, falls short just by a C here, you know? Yeah, but, but there are a lot of, there are enough, like, really interesting things that this movie does at parts, which I, I know you can agree with, that for me, it, it does win me over in the end. Um, I, I would consider it one of the good MCU films. I liked it. Paul Rudd, obviously, is great. Um, and Jonathan Majors is really great. Stills the show. Actually, really glad to see that the MCU, which historically has been criticized of having weak one-off villains, is actually going in a trajectory of actually having really good villains. I mean, we had Thanos and Gore the God Butcher and now Kang, so... Well, I mean, even Gore the God Butcher wasn't utilized nearly as much as they could have. But again, he was the best part of that movie. That's he was, a good thing. yeah. More yeah. of that um, and more of what worked in previous phases. Um... And, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what Phase 5 has to offer. But like I said, Guardians Volume 3 is very near and dear to my heart. We're definitely going to be covering that. I'm excited about it. Yep. Um, and uh, there, there, there's some more Phase 5 stuff coming up that's going to be cool. I mean, I know we're getting Blade this, uh, this phase. Yeah. And like I said, R-rated, please. R-rated. Don't, don't do Blade dirty. And, may, and make, make Wesley Snipes the new Whistler. Seriously, make that, him that, that's the new a really whistler. Good fucking idea. That he needs to be like the the uh, next uh, the next uh, mentor for Blade. I mean that that just would make the most sense to me. Seriously, that that's actually a that that, that that's a really good idea. I know we, I think we talked about that before on the podcast. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, a nice little callback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But I think after after Guardians, we're getting the Marvels. Uh, Captain America, New World Order, Thunderbolts, and and then yeah, and then Blade. Yeah. Okay. Possibly more, uh, and then and then after that, Phase Six. So I mean, out of all of that, I think I'm most excited about Guardians Three and Blade. Yeah, definitely. 
I'm most excited for Guardians uh, and Blade, and, and Phase Six should have Deadpool, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, and that so. that that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. So. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, all in all, it's it, it's a it's it's a it's a pretty good MCU film. It's a it's a it's a decent film, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the writing. I, I do agree the writing could have been better. I mean, if it we could have taken the characters through more, although at this point it's like, what else can you do with the characters after the first couple films and and what they've done in uh, within the crossover films? So I'm, I'm kind of struggling to figure out like what they could do with it, but. I feel like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess there, there could have been um, better character arcs for the Ant Fam and, and just better writing overall. Yeah. But not a bad film. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't even say mid. Like, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, as far as compared to the other Ant Man films, I don't know. I think it's better than Ant Man on the Wasp. Kind of on the fence with the first Ant Man. Because I, I do really like that one, actually. It's a good, like, heist movie. And it kind of has that working for it. Yeah. Too bad that you couldn't have a. Uh, old boy who uh, did Baby Driver, uh, Edgar, what's his note? What's his know. notes? Yeah, the director of Baby Driver and Shaun of the Dead, he was supposed to uh, do that movie. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. But uh, what's coming up next on Collateral Cinema, though? Well, on Collateral Cinema, we just released our Need for Speed episode. So if you haven't listened to that, go check that out. And we are going to be on our next numbered episode checking out Spaceballs. May the Schwartz be with you. Yes, and that's actually my pick. So. <laughs> that is going to be a lot of fun. I mean, Mel Brooks is fantastic, and that's going to be great. And um, we're going to try to probably get a Patreon commentary out here pretty soon. We we want. I want it to be Morbius. It has to be fucking Morbius. Yeah. It has to be. We're also going to be releasing the other part of our Mikaversary special. Uh, we're going to be doing Takashi Miike's Ace Attorney. And on Collateral Gaming, we're going to be covering the Ace Attorney Trilogy as well, uh, hopefully having part one out by the end of this month. That is the plan, because I really hate to bleed into next month, especially because we've got a lot of stuff coming in the next oh, month. Oh, yeah, definitely. So um, it's just been a struggle trying to get everybody together to do an episode. <laughs> <laughs> damn it. God damn it. <laughs> But, yeah, check us out uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google. Uh, you can also check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And also check us out on Good Pods. Uh, uh, give us a five-star review there and also on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser as well. But, yeah, give us a, a five-star review on Good Pods and those other apps. I mean, that will help us kind of climb up the uh, ranks a little bit. I mean, we're starting to get a little bit of success here. We are now Podbean affiliates. So uh, if you're looking to uh, start a podcast, uh, we do have an affiliate link where you can get one month of free podcast hosting from Podbean if you sign up for their unlimited plan. And I think we even have uh, one for a business plan as well. So, yeah, uh, look for that on our uh, social media. I usually post it on Twitter. I'll post the affiliate link. Maybe we should start posting the affiliate link in our show notes, perhaps even. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. So, yeah, um, look for all of that. I think we've said that before, too. Yeah, yeah, we have. And also <laughs> and also, uh, check us out on YouTube as well. I mean, our, our YouTube view counts are interesting. Like, you know what's interesting? You want to know how, how many, uh, what our biggest uh, view count is on uh, YouTube so far? Huh. It's Multiverse of Madness. You want to know how many? Huh. 14,000. What? 
just on that episode alone. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's crazy. More people listen to that one episode than listen to our entire fucking podcast <laughs> <laughs> on YouTube. Jesus. Yeah, that's cool, though. Fucking, awesome. Fucking crazy, right? Yeah. But then we have, like, other ones that are, like, 2,000, 4,000, and then just others that are, like, two views. Yeah. Go figure, right? Go figure. YouTube's algorithm is weird. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. But, yeah, anything else to add, Bo? Nope. Alrighty. <laughs> well, that being said, I'm Ashley Chancellor. And I am Bo Maddox, the uh, God Butcher or something. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been Collateral Cinema signing off. Collateral Cinema out. Cinema is a collateral media podcast. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.